You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Well, good morning, guys. How are we? All right. Live with this morning. My name is Brandon. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors here. Glad to have you with us this morning. Uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 5. We'll pick back up in our study on the Ten Commandments. And as you just heard from uh, the video, we are covering God's commandment to observe the Sabbath uh, today. And I don't know what your history is on this topic, but seeing that we have a two-day weekend in the West, you may feel like you're kind of crushing this one if you work a regular nine-to-five. You may be like, sweet, I haven't been doing so well on the first commandments. Maybe I've got this one covered at least. Uh, however, I believe this requires deeper thought than that, and I'm looking forward to diving in today. And I would put forward that even if you get consistent time off, you may not be fully participating in the picture the Bible paints. And that if you were, it just might drastically improve your life. In an age of distraction where many of us are bombarded with tech and emails and push notifications and demands from work and school, this practice of keeping the Sabbath has the potential to make you become a person who is present and peaceful. In an age of hurry where many of us are exhausted and anxious by the demands of life, keeping the Sabbath can keep you sane and healthy spiritually, physically, and emotionally. In a time where families are worn thin and they're shuttling their kids from one activity to another, and ironically enough, never having enough time or margin to connect with their kids or their spouse or their neighbor or their life group, this commandment has the potential to shape you into a person full of the Spirit with the capacity to love and listen and serve. But most importantly of all, obeying this commandment is a way to honor and lift high the name of our God because we are called to obey whether we feel its benefits or not. So let's go. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. It says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. The Hebrew word for Sabbath literally means to stop. So more literally, observe the stopping day. This points back to the seventh day of creation. The Hebrew scriptures teach that God did all of his creative work, making the cosmos and the earth and the sun and moon and stars and vegetation and animals and fish and humans for six days. And then on the seventh day, he rested. He blessed that day and set it apart from the other days. He made it a holy day, a day of enjoyment and glory in the work of his hands. Six days you, you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So work really hard six days out of the week, but the seventh day, stop everything you were doing the other six days. So the Sabbath assumes that you work really hard six days of the week. This actually could be more of the corrective element for some. Work and responsibilities are supposed to be tiring, right? We are supposed to be tired at the end of a day, at the end of a week. That doesn't mean anything is wrong. Our first call is to hustle and labor and work hard and build some grit because work is a gift. It's the primary means by which God provides for our daily bread. And it shapes our character. It's good for us. But then there's the flip side, verse 14. But the seventh day you shall not do any work. So some of us know how to work hard, but don't know how to stop, don't know how to rest or truly Sabbath. And 
And by that, I mean Sabbath in such a way that you give rest to your body and your soul because you are more than a body. You are more than simply flesh and bone. You have a soul, which means at the end of the day, what you need is rest that is more than just taking a long nap or sleeping in or binging the next show. If that's all that rest means, then you're missing out on a big piece of your personhood that you have a soul that needs rest too. And if you don't learn the Sabbath to stop to have soul rest, it will inevitably turn you into an anxious, overworked, burnout human being, even if you have something resembling a weekend. This is why, in part, our mental health is in such a mess right now. Most of us don't have a category for soul rest. This is why after a weekend or when you get back from vacation, you come back to your work week still somehow feeling so exhausted because we tend to only view ourselves as just a body. You're getting physical rest, but you're not getting the soul rest you need along with it. So with the Sabbath, one day stands out starkly from the rest, and it's for physical and soul rest. Six days a week, you work and produce, and the seventh, you stop all of that. And as we continue reading, we're going to find out that this wasn't an individual thing, but a community thing. It was for the entire theocratic nation of Israel, and it was to set them apart from every other nation around them. Let's pick back up reading. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. So your animals, those who work for you, even the out-of-town visitors, none of them will work on the Sabbath, the seventh day. Even the goats will know this day's different. They'll look around and and think, this is different from the rest of the week. This day is holy. It is set apart from the others. Even Cousin Larry, when he visits from Persia, will be forced to stop and rest on this day. And verse 15 gives us the why. It says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So just imagine you were a part of the ancient nation of Israel, and for the past 400 years or so, you've been enslaved to the Egyptians. You've lived in harsh circumstances, doing difficult labor from sunup to sundown. There, your very identity was work. What you produced was what made you valuable, what kept you alive even. You were mistreated and belittled there. And the only silver lining in this existence is that once you were through with your grueling, unending days, this prosperous nation would ensure that you had pots of meat to eat at night. And through a series of miraculous plagues, God aggressively humbles the most powerful nation on earth. And you literally ran away from slavery through the night. You walk through a dry seabed with walls of water on each side of you and then watch the sea close in behind you and swallow your oppressors. And this powerful God who rescued you leads you to a mountain where you receive his instruction on how to live. And this is necessary because as long as remembrance goes all the way to your great, great, great grandparents, you have been a formless people an anti-people of sorts. You've just been an oppressed people group attached to a more powerful group of people with no freedom to create a community of your own. But now you find yourself in a position of being your own nation, your own people under this Yahweh that has revealed himself to you and saved you. 
And the fourth commandment he gives you is to observe a stopping day, to rest like he did. You see, I think 400 years of generational slavery has a profound psychological effect on a community. For 400 years, they have been used to being treated inhumanely. And when you're treated inhumanely, you start to believe those things about yourself. They don't know how to act like a dignified image bearer of God. All they know how to do is work, to produce, to make bricks. And Yahweh here invites them into his divine rhythm. So this commandment is actually inviting them up in status. God is in effect saying, you are not a beast of burden. You were an image bearer of the most high God. So rest with me. So you will start to believe and live as though this were true. For 400 years, they had become used to helplessness. Every day was the exact same thing, minute by minute, brick by brick. And the monotony of their existence reinforced their utter inability to save themselves out of their misery. There was absolutely nothing they could do about it. They had no hope of delivering themselves out of this. The only thing they could do was cry out to God to do something they were incapable of. Exodus 2 tells us they did just that. It says, verse 23 through 25 says, During those many days the king of Egypt died, And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So this commandment tells us that the weekly stopping day was intended to help them remember what God had done that they could not do for themselves. We were slaves in Egypt, but Yahweh heard our cries. He delivered us. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. There's a saying in the Old Testament that I love that it says, God's arm is not too short to save. And it paints this picture of someone being stuck in a deep hole And some arms are too short to save, literally. They can't reach to the place where the person of need is. But Yahweh has a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and his arm is not too short to save. He reaches to the depths that no one else can reach. His arm is not too short to save the nation of Israel. So in light of all that, here's a quick definition I'd put forth. The Sabbath is an intentional stopping of work one day a week to intentionally remember God, rest, and be with God's people. We'll tease out those three elements. First, remember God. This is upward in direction. This comes from verses 14 and 15, where it says, The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and you shall remember you were a slave, and the Lord God brought you out. We are to remember God in an upward direction. This is a a stopping day, a day of ceasing from work, but it's not just a call to put down your farming equipment and go sit beside a body of water. This day is the Lord's day. It's a Sabbath, a stopping day to the Lord a day where you are to remember him and remember what he's done for you. It's a holy day. If you've been following the series in the book, you probably know that the word holy should start ringing a bell for one of the moral foundations that we've talked about. The word holy 
uh, comes from the word kadash, means set apart or unique, categorically different from the rest or sacred. It pricks the sanctity foundation that we've talked about, that some things occupy unique status that are to be revered and respected. This is actually where we get the word holiday or holy day. So we have some semblance of what it means for a day to be set apart with a unique purpose. But I would argue that in an individualistic America, there's another day that probably best helps us realize what it means for a day to be set apart. Uh, I don't know if you have your calendars out, but uh, June 24th is a special day. It's a holy day of sorts that everyone should honor and remember. More specifically, June 24th in the year of our Lord, 1985, I was born (laughs) in Greenville, South Carolina. And every year when that day comes around, there's something different about it. It has a special weight about it. I don't know why I haven't seen you guys getting your calendars out yet. I'll, I'll give you a minute if you need, need that. <laughs> Depending on your level of celebration, you may expand your birthday to birthday week or even birthday month. This is America. We can do stuff like that. June 24th is a day to Brandon. It's set apart. And even though I'm being facetious and I don't care about my birthday as much as some do, there is an unavoidable specialness to it. So this is the type of thinking that we approach the Sabbath with. This day is different. This is a day unto the Lord. It's Yahweh's day. So our attention goes in his direction on this day. This is the foundation, the prerequisite for observing the Sabbath properly. There's a huge vertical component that on this stopping day, once a week, my call is to worship God. And yet my call each day is to worship God, but on this stop day, it's holy. It's different. It's unique. It's set apart. My attentiveness to God should look different than it does the rest of the week because I'm not working. There's more time, space, and attention able to be directed. If you've been around our church for a while, you've probably heard us talk about spiritual disciplines with this language that the things we do do things to us. We are embodied creatures and the things we do do things to us. So God here is claiming that observing the stopping day each week on the seventh day would have a spiritually transformative effect on his people. For the ancient Israelites, it would humanize those who had been generationally dehumanized. It would remind them of their inability to save themselves and their need for an arm much longer than theirs. It would create a humane society where everyone was treated with dignity and respect as image bearers of God. They did this together as a people every seventh day and the act of communally placing themselves under Yahweh's authority and care had profound formational effects. God tells them, you were no longer slaves. You no longer serve an oppressive Pharaoh. You are free to serve me now. And once a week, you're going to intentionally stop working and rest and remember who I am. Practicing the Sabbath trained them to be sons and daughters instead of slaves. And he wants the same for us as well. Uh, We are not ancient Israelites, and there is some debate among theologians about how this commandment transfers to New Testament Christians who have now had Jesus step in as our ultimate Sabbath rest, as the book of Hebrews tells us. But the fact is, this commandment is grounded in the rhythm of God himself, who worked for six days and rested on the seventh. And while we may not have needed deliverance from the Egyptians, 
we did need saving from an even more powerful oppressor. We've been rescued from sin after being helplessly enslaved to it with no hope of saving ourselves. And just like the ancient Israelites, God saw our need and he heard our cries and he saved us out of spiritual bondage. By observing the Sabbath, we also remember that God did what we could not do for ourselves, that his arm was not too short to save. It's a reminder and even a representation of the gospel. The Sabbath reminds us that this is what God has done. He's saved us with its outstretched arm, and this is what he will continue to do. It's a further reminder each and every week that God will sustain. He will provide. It's his power we depend on for every waking breath. He has not abandoned us, and he never will. A second component is rest that is inward. This comes from verse 14. On it you shall not do any work. And this was not an easy thing to obey in their context. It's not easy anywhere, but it was particularly difficult, uh, I would argue, for them. They were a pre-modern agrarian society, and this meant a lot of things that are difficult for us to imagine. Uh, So there was no government safety net here. Uh, There's no social security, no disability or unemployment, no STEMI checks, right? No food stamps. Survival required hard work, and the nature of most work was working with your hands. And much of the needed work, like farming, was the always-on kind of work that required your diligent attention and still depended on factors outside of your control, where you had to hook the ox up to the plow to dig up the earth to plant seeds, and then plant the seeds and pray for rain or find a way to water them and weed them and find a way to keep the predators away and care for the ox and mend the fences so it wouldn't run away. All of this, and you still go to sleep at night praying your crops are still there in the morning and they haven't been destroyed by something. You're completely dependent on the weather to supply your crops with what they need, and if you're not constantly checking in, it literally becomes a matter of life and death. If your crops don't grow and your family doesn't eat, your society completely collapses. It was in this context that Yahweh spoke and said to have a day of stopping all work, a day of ceasing what you have to do every other day to survive. So it took immense trust for them as individuals, but also as a community to collectively obey this command, to take one day out of every seven where they could have been producing and providing security for themselves. So this command implies that there's something we need that is even more foundational than the extra resources or productivity we could gain every seventh day. Which really gets to the question of what are we created to be? The book of Genesis tells us that we are image bearers of God designed to be co-laborers in communion with him. We are not worker bees. We are cultivators of creation. And part of that cultivation is joining God in his enjoyment of what he has made. So in the creation narrative, he continually proclaims that the things he's made are good. And at the end of the week, he rests and enjoys what he has been creating. And we must do the same if we are to be the kinds of beings he created us to be. We must stop. We must cease from our work, our striving, our productivity. We have to rest from our toil to be in communion with God on the Sabbath. It is an expression of our faith in him, of our dependence on him. It's a way of reaffirming our place in the created order that we are in fact creatures 
who need what we can't provide for ourselves ultimately. Almost as if God is saying, you think I don't know you need rain and sunlight for your crops? I created the sun and the rain. So stop the incessant need to work and trust me. So the Israelites generally would feast on this day, eating good food and receiving it as a gift. They consumed without producing anything. There was no rush to get anywhere. It was a slow day to take your time and enjoy what God has given. And then lastly, number three, be with God's people in an outward direction. This comes from verse 14. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male and servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. So this was a community-wide event. We shared this story a few weeks ago, but a friend of mine went to Israel recently and got to observe a Sabbath there and was just in awe of the beauty of the tradition. On Friday evening, everyone was hustling about to get their groceries and knock out their errands and prepare for the Sabbath. And then at at sundown, everything just shut down. It's like Sunday and Chick-fil-A. Everything is just gone. It's a ghost town. And they got to have a long, drawn-out Sabbath meal with a family where there was all this delicious food that would have been prepared. There were songs that everyone sang together, like pre-rehearsed jokes that everyone knew, but they still laughed at anyway. Everyone collectively was resting and worshiping and feasting. And somewhere in the midst of that, my friend was like, oh, this is what it looks like for a day to be starkly different, for a day to be holy. I want my kids to experience this. This is amazing. So Sabbath day is a stop day that doesn't just exist for me, it exists for us. It's something we're all called to do together. For ancient Israel, this looked like family spending time together and not working in the fields, but enjoying each other's company. It looked like Israel gathering together to sit under God's word taught by the Levitical priests. It looked like feasting and sharing meals together with people in your community. For Jewish people, the Sabbath generally started at sundown on Friday and ended at sundown on Saturday. Over time, church tradition moved this to sundown Saturday to sundown Sunday because Jesus was raised on a Sunday and corporate gatherings of believers were moved to Sunday to celebrate and remember the resurrection but it's always been an outward event, a community event. So if you initially heard the topic for today and you thought, why, thank you, pastor. I do need more brunch in my life. I do need more time at the lake or more time away from my kids so I can shop or fish or do whatever it is you like to do. All of this, I hope, is painting a bit more robust of a picture I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but uh, self-care is all the rage these days. And on a certain level, there's nothing wrong with self-care. And honestly, depending on the week, you might consign me up for some of it. But the Sabbath is different from self-care. Depending on your definition of it, it might include it, but it's also way bigger. Because in the Sabbath, the focus was not on yourself at the end of the day. It was bigger than that. It was centered on God and others, and you derived rest from delighting in him and his people. There's a a parody Instagram account uh, that is pretty delightful. 
It's called The Power of Self-Care. Uh, and there's some gems on there, but, and this is probably the only time I'll ever talk about Instagram in a sermon, to be honest with you. Uh, just, just to reference a couple, I have uh, two pictures for you. First one says, don't let anyone tell you how long your self-care break should be. It could be five minutes or 11 years. Second one's probably my favorite. Take a break from the nothing you were already doing to do even less for mental health. <laughs> Brilliant. So it's really funny, but, but the reason self-care is so in vogue is actually not very funny. Like, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but people are not doing well. People are not well. And that was before the pandemic. Rates of anxiety and depression and mental health issues and suicides and most other measurable standards are alarming at best. I don't know how this was measured, but I read the other day that the level of anxiety reported by the average high school student today is on par with a patient from a mental hospital in the 1950s. People are not doing well. So as funny as that Instagram account can be, I would argue that there is nothing funny at all about the underlying problems beneath it. It seems as if there is something very, very sick in the water that we swim in, which in a way is what an account like this is pointing out, that we have issues that getting your nails done is not going to fix. Going to the lake is nice, but it will not heal the rot in your soul. Doing things that you enjoy is great, and you should do them, but don't be foolish enough to think that practicing self-care is what will solve the deepest cracks in you, because it won't. So don't hear this commandment and go home and say, honey, every Saturday morning I'll be leaving you with the kids and going out to do my hobbies all day and then have a drink with my buddies and you won't see me until bedtime. Good luck. What this self-care-driven view of rest does to the Sabbath is it tries to take the inward rest category of the Sabbath and it nixes it from the upward and outward components. It divorces it from being gobbled in direction and involving other people around you and it makes it self-serving ultimately. It creates a zero-sum game where my rest is now at odds with my wife's rest and my kids complicate it for both of us. I actually used to think about the Sabbath way more like this before we had kids, if I'm honest. Like, I'm an introvert, and I love reading and writing. I could spend all day on a hammock with a good book. My wife and I are read-on-the-beach people, not theme park people. So the way that we practiced the Sabbath before we had kids was um, quieter. It was quieter. There were more hammocks and more books. And then I had four kids, and I was like, who's going to come keep my kids so I can Sabbath, right? Like, what's the deal here? But the picture that uh, Scripture paints is that it is possible for us to Sabbath together, even with kids, even with a community. In fact, it's better that way. It's not a me day, ultimately. It's a God day. But it's a God day for all of our good. 
So Sabbath is inward. Yes, have a good meal, watch a movie, sleep in a bit, watch the big game, go out to the lake and invite me if you go. But if that's all you're doing, you're missing it because Sabbath is more than inward rest and you're settling for a shallower version of it. And you're not getting the rest you ultimately need because Sabbath is also primarily upward. It's about worshiping God. It's a day unto the Lord. So remember who God is and what he's done and that he is ultimately what you need. And step into practices that help you feed your soul to remind you of that, whatever those are, whether that's journaling for you or memorizing a passage from the Bible you really need to be reminded of or going on a long prayer walk in your neighborhood or listening to some worship music that sets your heart in the state of rest, whatever it is for you. And then lastly, Sabbath is outward with other people in the family of God, with your family, your kids, your church family. Bring them into what you're doing and what your family is doing. We're called to do this together. And for what it's worth, this is why we contend that gathering together should be the baseline for you when it comes to Sabbathing each week. Because you're feeding your soul in an intentional way each, each and every week with upward and outward rest in the process you're keeping the Sabbath. And I get it if you work weekends and you can't gather with God's people here or unforeseen circumstances come up or you're on vacation and you can't join us or you got sick kids. But the normative rhythm of our lives, according to this commandment, is gathering with God's people as a part of the Sabbath. So if you're sleeping in or missing the gathering or you just need to take a break because you serve too much or you want to beat the line at your favorite brunch spot or be at the lake all day, and you're saying, well, I'm resting and God wants me to rest. Yes, God wants you to rest, but he's also called you to observe the Sabbath. And this day ultimately is his, not yours. But again, it's his day for your good. It's actually better for you because self-care is not what you ultimately need. You need something more powerful than that. And if you don't build the Sabbath around God, but just rest for your body, then I can promise that ultimately you will not get the rest for your soul that you need. Sabbath is God's way of saying, come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest but not the kind of rest that you might think. Rest according to how I've defined it and designed it. You need more than what you think. And as we start to wrap up with this groundwork laid, I'd, I'd simply just like to give you some things or ideas to consider uh, as you prayerfully decide how to implement this in your life. The first thing is decide when you will keep it. Decide when you will keep it. In our context with modern life and a two-day weekend and differing work schedules and family rhythms, I believe there's some flexibility in how we obey this commandment. I believe that in general, there's historical precedent and consistency, thinking about the Sabbath as sundown Saturday to sundown Sunday. It includes worshiping with God's people, and it makes a lot of sense. However, I know that many Christians have chosen to observe the Sabbath from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday and have the Sunday gathering be kind of like the cap, if you will. I'm still evaluating this personally, but being in ministry, uh, we have tended to keep this rhythm for our family. But I'll have to say, I think it's effective, most effective when you have a group of believers that you share the same rhythm with, whether that be your entire church or your life group, because there's momentum and accountability with that when you're doing it together with other believers. Secondly, make it distinct and different. Clearly mark off what you are observing as the Sabbath. And I would imagine that some of us, even though most weekends we have, you might have a two-day weekend, some of us end up kind of going about the weekend in an undisciplined way. 
you just kind of go through the weekend and everything kind of feels the same. You know, you're doing work and responsibilities here and there as needed. And there's really no meaningful difference in the weekend days other than hopefully coming to the gathering on Sunday. And I think the model we see in Scripture is just incredibly clear. Six days should look one way where you're being productive one way or the other. And then one day stands out like a sore thumb. Like even the goats can tell the difference, right? Your kids can tell the difference. You're very disciplined about not doing what you do on the other six days. You turn your attention in a Godward direction and everyone in your house knows this day is different from the rest. So some Christian families light a candle at the beginning of the Sabbath meal, which I think is a perfect way to mark out that we are entering into a different time. Some say a prayer or sing a song or share a little speech about the purpose of this day to kick things off. I had a, heard a pastor this week say that when they had young kids, they had a box of toys that was only brought out when the Sabbath started, which is another great way of communicating this time is different. It's unique. Whatever it might be for you, the goal is that it's clear to everyone that we've now entered into a different space. Uh, so for example, in our house, Friday is laundry day. Anyone else hate laundry? Amen. My wife and I both work and we tag team all of the no fun chores, at least until our kids get old enough to do them all. <laughs> when our kids get out of school on Fridays, I say, all right, guys, guess what's coming tonight? Guess what's starting tonight? And by this time, I hope they know the answer. And then I say, and guess what that means we have to do before that? And they all say, laundry. So we all go put up our, all of our laundry, hang up all of our clothes. So all of that is out of the way. And the general idea is stopping work and productivity, obviously. In the course of uh, Jewish history, some took this all the way to extremes, uh, the thought being that you should avoid work or exertion at all costs, maybe even in emergencies. Uh, Jesus came along and basically said, don't be ridiculous. If your ox falls in a ditch on the Sabbath, pull him out, <laughs> right? Pull him out. And Mark 2, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath and the religious leaders get really mad at him. And then he has this awesome judo word reply. He said, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. In other words, the point of this day isn't to keep some exacting list of rules, but to benefit you. So it's not to say that you necessarily need to sit at home and twiddle your thumbs or be in a lounge chair at the beach. You can exert yourself on the Sabbath. You can hike. You can go for a run. Here's a way that I've heard pastors talk about this that ventures into interpretation to be sure, but it rings helpful to me. It's the idea that if you work with your head, you might want to do things with your hands on the Sabbath. So if, if you're a, a knowledge worker, then maybe gardening is a good Sabbath activity for you. And if you work with your hands, you might want to engage your head on the Sabbath. So for me, a lot of my job is, is in the head. It's thinking and prepping and studying and planning and emailing. So for me, observing the Sabbath means staying off of my computer, that day should be very different than the other six days. I should use my computer far less, if at all. And as far as household responsibilities go, I don't want to be doing laundry on the Sabbath because laundry is awful. It's terrible, especially when you have four young kids. Man, those loads of clothes that are just kid clothes, man, they take forever. It takes so long. 
But cutting the grass, that doesn't feel like work to me at all. I love cutting the grass. Growing up on the land I lived on, cutting grass could be an all-day chore. So that might be a little different. But living in the burbs takes me like 45 minutes tops. If I take my sweet time, I can just listen to a podcast and enjoy my sweet time. Next thing, consider going tech-free. Again, just a consideration here, but in our context, I would really consider what tech usage should look like for us on the Sabbath. Because if this day is supposed to look starkly different than the rest, I think that has implications for what we do with our phones on the Sabbath. Starting with how we work on our phones, with email and all the rest, but also we all have things we look at too much on our phones, right? We all have the time wasters, the things we look at too much. Uh, For you, maybe it's social media, I have Instagram and Facebook and Twitter on my phone, but uh, in this particular season of my life, I hardly ever open any of them, and they are just not tempting to me. They are not calling out to me. But for some of you, maybe you need to delete Instagram at the start of every Sabbath, where it's just not at all permissible for you. Uh, My thing used to be reading too much about Clemson football, like recruiting message boards, all of that, you know, like back when we were one of the elite programs in college football. Remember that? But uh, my pandemic hobby I picked up was actually following the stock market and cryptocurrency. And it's the first hobby I've ever had that's made me money instead of costed me money. So it's pretty much supplanted Clemson entirely. And you can ask my wife that when I get on a kick, I get on a kick. Actually, don't ask her about it on second thought. So for me, I make all of that off limits on the Sabbath. This is, I will not do that on the Sabbath. Whatever it is for you, I I think some very healthy separation from the patterns and habits we have with tech in our lives on the Sabbath is incredibly worthwhile and may even need to bleed over into the other six days. Next, plan it in advance. Make it clear when it is and that it will be respected whether the work you need to get done is done or not. Try to get all your errands and tasks done that you need to do beforehand, but the ones that didn't get done, just leave them undone and realize that the world will go on. Make a plan for how you will rest upward and inward and outward and what you will do and what you will absolutely not do. For our family, our best Sabbaths tend to involve lots of time outside together and good food and sunshine and playing soccer or football dance parties to music that's too loud. Pretty sure our neighbors hate us. Fires when it's cold. The less digital and the more analog, the better. At this point in our season of life, the weeks feel like days. And the Sabbath is a wonderful opportunity to just stop and look each other in the eyes and soak up God's goodness together. And lastly, continue to improve. Will you be a pro at it right away? No. It will be a challenge most likely. I'm still learning and I'm far from perfect in obeying this command in my own life. But there is grace for you. And at the end of your Sabbath, assess how it went and modify your plan to make it better the next go-round. The good news is when it's all done, you have six days until the next one. So work to get better at it next week and commit to it. 
And even though we struggle to obey this often, um, I think this commandment is one of the easier ones for us to make the connection and realize, oh, God really is for my good. He really is. He really is deeply interested in my flourishing and also the flourishing of my community. This is what God wants for you and for us to no longer be beasts of burden, worried, anxious, and self-dependent, but a different people who know deeply his power and provision and who rest in his presence. A people who are just like the day, set apart and holy and different in the best way possible from what surrounds us. He did not create us to be addicted to our work to producing for value. He created us to be sons and daughters, image bearers of himself. So let's join him in this beautiful invitation he's given us. It will honor him and put him on display, but it'll also bring healing and joy to our souls. It'll bring vitality to our tired eyes and our weary souls. When we Sabbath, God is reinforcing the gospel deep within us that God rescued us from our slavery to sin when we didn't deserve it, that you are loved based on nothing you have done, that he has saved us when we could not save ourselves through the broken body and shed blood of Christ. So let's act that out. Remember that each week for our joy and good. Please pray with me.